Good evening, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios. It is the 5th of January, 2021. Last time I left you with a discussion of the control over glycolysis via lipid mediation. We talked about the palmitylation of phosphofructokinase 1, essentially taking that protein out of the normal cytosolic compartment where it is functional as one of the controlling um, centers for glycolytic flux in T lymphocytes upon antigen pr presentation and um, the activation of the T cell receptor. We went on to explain to you a couple of papers that talked about this acylation pattern and the fact that the mobility of the acylated, palmitylated, that is, phosphofructokinase 1 to the plasma membrane where it is basically non-functional, was associated with an acid sphingomyelinase, which was in the membrane, which converted sphingomyelin to ceramide, thus altering membrane lipid raft transport and allowing for the recruitment of palmitylated phosphofructokinase, which otherwise would have resided in the Golgi apparatus uh, and the trans-Golgi network, to be specific, uh, and then shuttle it up to the plasma membrane. And then we talked about enzymes, which will remove the fatty acid uh, and those th thioesterases then removing that thioester bond of that uh, carbonyl from the palmitic acid to a cysteine residue for conserved cysteine residues in the PFK1 would then allow that phosphofructokinase to be back in function and then allosterically controlled. And it's also controlled, as we said, by levels of ATP, ADP, AMP, calmodulin, uh, citric acid, just to name a few, glycerol 3 phosphate, um, phosphatopyruvate, but also acyl-CoAs themselves seem to have an effect on phosphofructokinase, one that was not associated with pomidulation. The ripple that I put into the discussion that was not in the papers was from a previous paper simply talking about the role of ASM, that is acid sphingomyelinase, in movement, bulk movement of pomidulated proteins back and forth from a TGN, that's the trans-Golgi network, to the plasma membrane. And also the vesicular trafficking that occurs where um, cargo is ultimately shuttled to the plasma membrane via that same membrane raft association and the effect of adding fatty acids covalently to certain proteins, thus organizing around a translocation of a group of proteins. And also, I didn't mention last time, of course, RNA growth factors and other organic molecules, which can work as signaling uh, and receptor systems, all being transported, not in bulk, but in very specific discrete vesicles to a structure called the porosome. Now, remember I told you the porosome, when it was first studied, they separated it from a synaptosome because they were looking at neuronal tissues, okay? And porosome actually exists in, throughout the body, but the first paper that published on this in the porosome complex was looking at the central nervous system. It was an animal model, I believe it was, um, certainly was a rodent model, and I'm pretty sure it was rat. At any rate, we've also found porosomes in muscle uh, and in all the solid organs, and also, of course, in circulating lymphocytes and leukocytes. And so that's where we kind of need to get to now. So 
<clears throat> let me tell you about some of the lipids that are in the porosome complex, because this is really interesting. So comparing a porosome to a synaptosome, now a synaptosome is basically a membranous structure, and I'll tell you more details of it in a moment, that is associated with the terminus of a presynaptic neuron, so at the end of its axon, that functions to um, translocate and to uh, reintroduce neurotransmitters from the postsynaptic neuron via transport across the synapse, okay? So synaptosome is basically the membranous structures which are linked to neural transmission, particularly the chemical transport of neurotransmitters from the presynaptic neuron to the postsynaptic neuron through the synaptic cleft, such things as serotonin and dopamine, for example. So here's a table from the paper uh, published, and I'll give you the reference of it in the show notes, that compares some of the major lipid species in the porosome versus the synaptosome. Uh, and also they looked at an aquaporin complex in this membrane. Now, important thing here is to listen to this one uh, fact. Porosome had about 4.82 nanogram per microgram protein of ceramide, where the synaptosome had no ceramide. Ceramide phosphate was also represented in the porosome, about 0.48 or 0.5 nanogram per microgram protein. There was zero ceramide phosphate. Now, you recall that ceramide and ceramide phosphate work in contrarian mode to control cell fate but also to control membrane lipid raft transport in association, of course, with cholesterol. So it tells you that the high level of ceramides and porosomes with synaptosomes means that there is more ceramide-mediated lipid raft movement in the porosome than in the synaptosome. And that's because the porosome has a different um, function. Now, what is the function of the porosome? Well, in the T lymphocyte, it's involved in the transport, extracellular secretion of cytokines and chemokines and growth factors that one normally encounters for T lymphocytes. You see, that's the whole reason I brought the porosome. That's a complex structure that allows for the docking of endocytic vesicles in the inner leaflet portion of the um, plasma membrane of the T lymphocyte. And that docking, along with a series of proteins, which we talked about at great length, proteins like syntaxin, um, allow for the facilitated transport of those cytokines, chemokines, and growth factors across that membrane and then to be secreted by the T lymphocyte, thus generating a major component of acquired immune response, including inflammation. You see. So this is how lipids like ceramide uh, can help organized around a pro-inflammatory response. Now, what's interesting is you also have another lipid, which is in real high concentration in the porosome. This is lysophosphatidylinositol phosphate. Now, lysophosphatidylinositol phosphate means that one of the fatty acids in the glycerol backbone has been removed. Usually it's the two position of the glycerol. <clears throat> so that means that fatty acid has already gone on to do some function very likely that function is either going to be a, a, a sterification 
a transesterification to sphingolipids, maybe to other glycerolipids, or of course, also it can go through the cyclooxygenase pathway after synthesis of acyl-CoA, and it can make prostaglandins or leukotrienes, and depending on if it's a cyclooxygenase or a lipoxygenase, it can go through that whole, um, as I just said, leukotriene pathway, all of which, all of those are local autocoid hormones. So you get the idea of the membrane lip is doing tremendous amount of activity in the T-cell plasma membrane porosome. A couple of more things to note, there's a tremendous amount of diacylglycerol in the porosome membrane, almost 400 nanogram per microgram, much larger concentration of diacylglycerol than any of the other lipids that they were looking at, the major lipids. I told you there are 10,000 different molecular species, and there's about oh, 20 or 25 major classes of lipids. The, by, by far, the most significant, highest concentration of class of lipids is diacylglycerol. Now, diacylglycerol turns on protein kinase C. More on that later. But DAG works to promote a, a kinase, a phosphorylation kinase cascade system, normally involved in cell division. Okay, so that's something to keep in mind. Now, comparing the porosomal amount of DAG, disoglycerol, I told you almost 400 nanogram per uh, microgram, there is less than three, actually it's only about two nanogram per microgram. So you're talking about almost, uh, what is that, 200 times more diacylglycerol. I just told you diacylglycerol is a stimulant of protein kinase C. I also told you that, that the uh, phosphatidylinositols are also well represented in the porosome where they're not particularly represented in the synaptosome, at least not the lysoforms. So that's really interesting. It tells you that another enzymatic activity, the porosome, which again, is involved in the translocation of cytokines, chemokines from the uh, T lymphocyte upon activation of the T cell receptor because of antigen present presentation, okay? That those lipids, besides helping move proteins around, besides helping control intermediary metabolism, for example, anaerobic glycolysis to lactic acid fermentation or full aerobic glycolysis, glycolysis to pyruvate and then pyruvate dehydrogenase to acetyl-CoA, pyruvate carboxylase to oxaloacetic acid, um, the, the citrate synthase enzyme in the, in the TCA cycle generating citrate, and then the production of triacylglycerol uh, after the synthesis of fatty acids and also cholesterol in that T lymphocyte as an energy source. Of course, the cholesterol is there to make it into the membrane to control membrane raft transport, and also ultimately to be converted to any number of sundry local hormones from cholesterol. Okay, so there's a great deal of lipid metabolism in T cells. Now, you don't gather that by finding a largesse of literature on it. You gather that by being careful to look at lipid papers, just describing structures and mechanisms, and then taking that information and applying it to the work being done, for example, on glycolysis and T lymphocytes, that 2020 paper. <clears throat> That's what I do for you. That's the kind of research I do. So then you can link lipid metabolism 
as a bioenergetic component and as a membrane sorting element in T lymphocytes. And you aren't going to find that in the current literature, but you will find that if um, young daring assistant professors decide to look at that dynamic lipid synthesis in the acquired immune response, T lymphocytes, and probably also in B cells. So hopefully you get an idea of why I'm bringing this up to you. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about the porosome before we leave it. Cholesterol is also necessary to maintain the neuronal porosome. Now, I told you there's a synaptosome, but the neurons also have porosomes. And I'm telling you that the T lymphocytes have porosomes. They may also have the synaptosome, but a totally different flavor of it, right? Because you do have immune synapses, right? We know this because classically, antipresenting cells interact with T lymphocytes, right? Membrane-membrane association. Remember through the MHC class, engine presentation, and then the induction of the uh, T cell receptor, et cetera, okay? Remember, the T, T cells function up close and friendly with other cells, right? So they're going to have synapses and they're going to have porosomes, right? So more about porosome. There's an interaction of phosphatidic acid and polyphosphoinositide lipids with the protein known as syntaxin 1A. And all of those lipids with that protein help work in cell secretion. That's what I was talking about for the T lymphocytes. <clears throat> they also have an effect on other membrane lipid ion channels. In fact, calcium channels are probably modulated by lipid domain formation upon uh, rather subtle changes in the composition that is in molecular species of the membrane lipids. Studies are showing using crystal structures of lipid G protein coupled receptacles, GPCRs. Okay, so this is an AG, it's an example. Looking at those studies, it's been observed that lysophospholipid, such as sphingosine 1-phosphate, modulates lymphocyte trafficking, endothelial development, and integrity. And in the cardiac system, heart rate, and vascular tone, all of that associated with activation of G-protein coupled receptors. So that's just one small paper. Now, there are minor changes in membrane lipids and they manifest major changes in the function of membrane proteins. Membrane lipid composition, therefore, is significant. And we already have been hammering down the um, uh, observation that lipid composition varies between organelles, that is Golgi versus ER versus peroxisome versus nuclear envelope versus um, plasma membrane, to name a few, and that you have microdomains that end up in the plasma membrane that are synthesized and generated from the endomembranous compartment because of the activity of in situ enzymes like acid sphingomyelinase. Now, since lipid composition differs between the inner and outer leaflet of bilayers in general, that's how they, why they are bilayers, that means you're going to generate specific domains within cellular membranes that have either an outside or an inside inductive processing. Right? And those macromolecular structures are going to contribute. Now, this is really important for for transport, but also for the um, 
electrochemical stimulation of the neuron, those lipids are going to help control the polarity of transport, the access of whatever is transported, say a neurotransmitter. And with that, a couple differential signaling that's going to be uniquely essential for cell communication where it's most abundantly important. And that, of course, is in the central nervous system. Okay. All right. So let's move on from that um, rather, really uh, fascinating discussion there and talk more about protein kinase C. I told you there's a lot of diacylglycerol associated with porosome. I hope I've explained to you why the porosome is significant in T lymphocytes. Now, Protein kinase C comes in multiple isoforms. There's protein kinase C theta, and of course, epsilon, delta, beta, rho, and alpha. And there's also a protein kinase C delta. So there are at least six, probably seven different protein kinase C isoforms, and they differ in their activities. For example, protein kinase C delta inhibits apoptosis. Protein kinase C epsilon inhibits apoptosis. Uh, protein kinase C rho regulates apoptosis. What about autoimmunity? Protein kinase C delta inhibits autoimmune transplant rejection. Protein kinase C theta enhances autoimmune transplant rejection, as does protein kinase C alpha. Uh, protein kinase C theta is functional at adhesion and for effector cell differentiation and for interleukin-2 and for proliferation. This is all with lymphocytes. So let's look at this in a little bit more detail. Also, migration is controlled by protein kinase C beta. So after cell-cell contact between a T-cell and the antigen-presenting cell, the contact becomes essentially stabilized during the initiation of the immune response, and it does it by an interaction of what's called beta-2 integrin uh, uh, and a protein called LFA1. There's also a counter-liganded ICAM-1 protein involved in that process. And that's control, all that's control, that interaction with those proteins during the immune response, right? And that's, the, that's what stabilizes once the T-cell receptor recognizes APC. All of that is controlled by inside-out signaling via the control of integrin conformation and membrane surface redistribution. So there's a really important inside-out signaling molecule that controls cell adhesion, and that is the small GTPase known as RAP1. So RAP1A deficient T cells show an impaired integrin LFA1 clustering and adhesion after CD3. Remember, CD3 is necessary for co-stimulation. So what was discovered that there was a role for PKC theta and the RAP GEF2, that's the exchange factor, that's the G protein exchange factor 2 complex in regulating that 
integrin LFA1, avidity <coughs> in T cells. So what they showed that after T cell activation, PKC theta phosphorylates RAP GEF2 at a certain serine, happens to be serine 960, which regulates RAP1 activation and LFA1 adhesiveness to the ICAM1. That all agrees with the study that showed that <clears throat> TCR transgenic CD4 positive T cells expressing LFA1 cluster after antigen activation. And all that gets impaired when you have a PKC delta deficient CD4 positive T cell. So that means that PKC theta seems to positively regulate <clears throat> the adhesive capacity of T lymphocytes. So now you see where the proteins play a major role. Now, all of those proteins I described to you all have signatures and histories with lipid movement to the membrane. So when you get a stable contact between a T cell and an antigen-presenting cell, the T cell co-stimulatory receptor, known as CD28, is of course gets activated, and it does it by binding to its cell ligands. So those include CD80 and CD86. Subsequently to that, there is an immunological synapse. I told you to wait for that one. That becomes generated, and the contact area between the T cell and the APC is then rendered active. Part of that immunological synapse is indeed a supramolecular activation complex, and it's called SMAC, <laughs> okay? Supramolecular activation complex, you see? <clears throat> and that's characterized by different signaling proteins like the LCK, which is actually a CERC family tyrosine kinase, and the LFA1, and the LFA1 I've been talking about has actually got a name, not just an acronym. It's actually the lymphocyte function associated antigen 1. You also have CD45 playing an important role at that membrane structure complex. So you have a effective T cell stimulation is characterized essentially by the recruitment of PKC, protein kinase C theta, to that supramolecular activation complex at which it is phosphorylated by that LC kinase, that's a CERC kinase, at a tyrosine 90. Now, all of that is the result of membrane movement of acid sphingomyelinase and a host of palmitoyl transferases and palmitoyl thioesterases, which control the interdigitating flux of all of those proteins to reside in specific leaflets of the plasma membrane upon activation of the T cell receptor by the antigen presenting cell. So now you're getting a real picture of the immune response, not simply the proteins involved. Now you're actually looking at how lipids play such a critical role in this entire discussion. Okay, so I want I want you always to keep in mind when I say that lipids are fascinating. It's not again. It's not because I'm a lipid biochemist that they're fascinating. I'm fascinated by how lipids interact, and because of that, I became a lipid biochemist, right? Because it is just the most complex system that um, certainly I can imagine, 
And even what I understand of it is only a very small element of what's going on as an event ontology, right? Because everything is in flux when this is happening at the level of microseconds, none of which involves nascent gene expression, okay? So, so hopefully we got there. We got to that point where where I want you to get at least that element of understanding. Okay. So um, I don't think I'm going to start talking about lipoproteins and how they are involved in T lymphocytes at this point, but I will tell you that there is a role for highly oxidized and aggregated low density lipoproteins, which are themselves associated with an increase in reactive oxygen species and many different isoforms of lipases and lipid modifying enzymes, including sphingomyelinases and a secretory form of phospholipase A2. That's the enzyme, by the way, that removes the fatty acid from the two position of preformed glycerol lipids in the membrane. So you have that, plus you have another host of other lipases. Most of them are centering around phosphatidylinositol phosphate cascades. And you also have an enzyme called myeloperoxidase. All of this is going to be associated near the porosome uh, at the synapse of the T lymphocyte with the antigen presenting cell. So you're going to have scavenger receptors functioning there like CD36, which is going to take up fatty acids. You're also going to have CD68. Okay. Scavenger receptor expression itself at this system is mediated by cytokines. Which ones? TNF-alpha, interferon-1. And when that organizes and occurs, and if it's, say, not just in a T lymphocyte, but in a tissue bed that is, for example, cardiac muscle that is starting to, uh, to get into an inflammatory response networking with all the lipid migration, <clears throat> all of those pro-inflammatory cytokines are going to show up at the same place where foam cells are, are produced. Foam cells are going to secrete apolipoprotein E's, and they're going to facilitate the removal of any excess cholesterol, therefore enriching for oxysterol. Then you're going to get the death of the foam cells and you're going to leave behind in that process, that immune system I just told you about, a growing mass of extracellular lipids and cell debris that has to be picked up by macrophages. Okay. Now, all of that is the result of the activation of the T lymphocyte, which can occur, that process I just told you, peripherally or directly near wherever that lymphocyte is going through its activation response. It all has to do with chemotaxis, right? That's where chemokines are involved. And that's where the innate immune cells are functioning to control the mobility and the reckoning of the T lymphocytes in an associated inflammation system. Okay? All of that is going to be occurring in various tissues in the body. And that pro-inflammatory that is hyperimmune response, and then the hypoimmune response is going to constantly be fluxing according to that valency throughout life. But as the tissue ages, as the body starts to senesce, the tight regulation over that um, one extreme to the other 
loses its ability to act as a rheostat. And that's be, that then results in more and more and more tissue damage and more mutation. And all of that leads to morbidity, more senescence, senescence-associated secretory phenotypes, and then ultimately high-level morbidity and then mortality, which ends up ultimately causing death in the living system. Okay. So that is how I got all the way back around now to aging. So we're going to stop here because we're almost out of time. I just want to tell you how exciting this is because we're finally now starting to get to a discussion of the dialectical event ontology of aging as it relates to metabolism. Okay. We're now deep into a discussion of that. And I finally was uh, able to bring forth a small amount of our lipids are playing a role here. I want you to understand that they are absolutely essential, necessary, and universally involved in the senescence process. Okay. So I'm going to leave you with that great idea in your mind. And this is Dr. Dan Guerra on the 5th of January, 2021 saying, of course, my usual sign-off, which is bye for now. <laughs>